Welcome to Seven Heads, Ten Horns with Klaus Yoder and Travis Stevens. Hi everyone, Klaus here. This is a slightly different episode in terms of format, content, and contributors. We're actually having our first guest contributor, uh, Stefano. Um, and I came across Stefano's podcast uh, because he did it for a class <laughs> that I am teaching. And yet you might be surprised to know that I also teach a college-level course on the history of the devil. Um, and, you know, for people in the higher ed business, also secondary and all kinds of fields of education, it's, uh, it's grading season. And so I'm in the middle of going through dozens of papers and projects. And so many of the, the projects that were turned in for this class, um, whether they're podcasts or collages, zines, videos... Um, annotated playlists, they were all just like really awesome. Um, but Stefano's uh, dealt with a, a topic that I had sort of earmarked and wasn't sure when I would get a chance to address it, which was the idea of the devil in music um, in terms of composition and in terms of topics and in terms of aesthetics. So I wanted to just drop this in the feed um, because we're in the middle of grading season, both both Travis and I, it's sort of a busy, crazy time to be generating podcast content. Um, but this really just was super serendipitous to to come across and to, to learn more about this really fascinating topic. Um, so yeah, so without any further ado, um, I'm going to present Stefano's podcast, The Devil's Trill. Um, we have some other really great episodes coming up soon. Um, one on Catherine Keller's new book about facing apocalypse. Um, another about race and ethnicity in specifically Latin Roman Imperial Christianity. Uh, and then I think we'll get around to origin after that. But yeah, I, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, thanks for listening. Welcome to the first episode of The Devil's Trill, a very limited series making both its debut and its finale today. The Devil's Trill is a show about exploring the relationship between the devil and music, how, when, and why he emerges in music, and if he truly has the best tunes. We have a great show lined up for you all today. We're going to start with the devil's early emergence in music and then make our way up together up to the devil's current hits. But before getting into my favorite devilish tunes, let's talk a little background. The number three, the triad, is often considered a perfect number. In Catholicism, we have the Holy Trinity and the three theological virtues gifted to us by God himself, faith, hope, and charity. This theme was carried on into pop culture as well, with three being a magical, fantastical number, the three blind mice, the three musketeers, the three little pigs, and the list goes on. In a musical context, the number three in a triad chord was also considered divine. 
a manifestation of the Holy Trinity, producing positive effects on the human soul. This rhythmic ternary was considered perfect, unlike binary harmonies, which are generally considered imperfect by nature. However, in certain circumstances in the musical field, the number three has also developed a quote-unquote demonic nature. The Devil's Interval, or Diabolus and Musica, Latin for the devil in music, is a disharmony of sound produced by two notes that are separated by the magical three whole tones. Interestingly, the Devil's Interval is at the backbone of some of the most influential music in history, being heard in influential classical sonatas like the intro of Danse Macabre by Camille Sanson, and the Dante Sonata by Franz Liszt. as well as modern rock songs like Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. Naturally, all these intros really do sound ominous. Maybe that's why they stick with us so firmly. They evoke a sense of anxiety and insecurity. Some may even say evil. But are these collections of notes really evil? Is there something truly behind the devil's interval? To understand the Devil's Interval, let's talk about its composition. So a triad is composed of three tones, one starting note, plus the third and the fifth tones found along its scale, that can form either a dependent or an independent chord. An independent chord can happily conclude a composition. While a dependent chord contains dissonant or tense intervals, such as the Devil's Interval, better known as the tritone, or three tones in music theory. So the tritone spans three tones, splitting the octave into two equal parts, but it's unstable, setting up expectations of resolutions which never come. According to the musical scholars like Carl E. Gardner, dissonant triads should not be the last action of a composition, as it'll leave the audience with a feeling of tension and discomfort. Another scholar from London's Guildhall School of Music and Drama John Sloboda states, our brains are wired to pick up music that we expect, and generally music is consonant rather than dissonant, so we expect a nice chord. So when that chord is not quite what we expect, it gives you a little bit of emotional frisson because it's strange and unexpected. In other words, it violates the basis of auditory expectancy. For this very reason, it served in classical music to indicate the presence of the sinister, to represent the devil. In the past decades, there has even been circulation of rumors that the Devil's Interval was banned by the Catholic Church for fears that playing the interval would conjure up demons. However, there is no actual evidence for the banning of the Devil's Interval, even though there are so many people out there continuing to spread these rumors. The basis for these rumors date back to the Gregorian chants, the liturgical music of the Roman Catholic Church, originating in the 9th and 10th centuries. These chants were meant to be a beautiful act of worship to God. Therefore, preference was given to perfect chords. 
The tritone, being considered imperfect, was avoided as much as possible. Being this imperfect interval, it was also extremely hard to sing relative to perfect intervals, which is also likely why it was not often used in religious music, because it was difficult to sing, not because they thought it would summon up the devil. So why did Diabolus and Musica become literal? Diabolus and Musica was established some 400 years after medieval practice, with a more metaphorical meaning of the interval producing a tense, disorganized sound. The term began to pop up in the early 18th century, with musical scholars such as Andreas Workmeister and Johann Fuchs. Again, both scholars reference the devil metaphorically. But there is no doubt that due to the way we process this interval, it does in fact sound eerie. Perhaps that's due to the sound itself, but perhaps it's due to a phenomenon called semantic shift, a change in the meaning of a word due to the context it is paired with. And interestingly, right at the start of the 18th century, shortly after the term diabolus and musica began to popularize, a more literal association of the devil and music began to emerge. My favorite example, which actually inspired the name of the show, was the following composition by Giuseppe Tartini, circa 1713. segment from Tartini's Devil's Trill. Tartini, who is a common user of the Devil's Interval, is a prime example of a composer who took an initially metaphorical understanding of the Devil in music to a literal level. Tartini stated that this composition was inspired after Satan, playing a violin, appeared to him in a dream, asking him to be his servant and teacher. The story goes that after the end of the lesson, Tartini handed the Devil his violin in order to test the Devil's virtue. The devil played a song so beautiful that the mesmerized Tartini attempted to recreate what he had heard. Regardless of his composition receiving extreme praise, Tartini later wrote that what he produced was so inferior to what he had originally heard that if he could have subsisted on other means, he would have broken his violin and abandoned music forever. Tartini, amongst other composers, really cemented a link between the devil and music through the idea of a Faustian deal, an exchange of a soul for musical greatness, but the devil's relationship with music was far from the end of its development. We'll now take a leap forward to the early 1900s with the emergence of blues and jazz music in the United States. At this point, no longer was the devil just a reference in music. He was an active player of the music due to numerous factors. First off, an interesting fundamental component of both blues and jazz, called the devil's music in the early 1920s, is the exploration of well, the devil's interval. Chord progressions are generally built on these tritones, which at this point had definitely been conflated with a westernized literal understanding of the term. A second thought is that the Tartini-styled Faustian deals reemerged in the early 20th century. Robert Johnson, now known as the father of blues, was at the center of these deals. The legend goes that Robert Johnson, a Mississippi-born musician, supposedly brought his guitar to highways 49 and 61 in Mississippi where the devil exchanged his instrument for Johnson's soul. According to the myth, Johnson was transformed from an average musician 
into one of the greatest guitarists of all time after his deal with the devil. The blues legend, who composed masterpieces such as our next song, Me and the Devil Blues, was only further connected to the devil after his mysterious death, possibly a murder, at the age of 27. in the early 20th century was that traditional societal values and Christian morals were particularly powerful in the Western world. Anything thought of as insurgent to Christian norms was often considered a direct display of devil worship. Blues and jazz considered the devil's music, which was generally performed by the oppressed black communities in the U.S., was seen as dangerous and unholy. As a result, the devil began to gain foothold not only as a player, but as a symbol of culture, resistance, and survival. Jazz and blues are music born in America out of the African-American experience. Duke Ellington, the writer of our next song, Take the A-Train, once stated, Jazz is the only unhampered, unhindered expression of complete freedom yet produced in this country. of syncopation, improvisation. In the 1920s in the U.S., jazz was seen as dangerous, the music of brothels and drinking. Jazz was seen as such a threat that saxophones were actually banned by Pope Pius X in 1903, as they were seen as instruments used to belt out music that promoted lewd dancing, provoking alarm and moral outrage. Jazz was subsequently banned in hundreds of public dance halls in the 1920s. And yet, the influence of the devil does not stop there. By the mid-1960s, rock and roll, which could be seen as a commercial modification of blues, with greater emphasis on sexual liberation and deviance, was beginning to reach its full potential. At the same time, Satanism began to emerge as an ideology, rather than just a way of scaring people. Levain and Crowley, two fathers of modern Satanism, began to gain more and more influence on rock and counterculture. A picture of Crowley even appeared on the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club Band album cover, which brought a lot of attention to the Beatles' religious beliefs. We also see this gaining of attention with the Rolling Stones, when Mick Jagger assumed the role of the romanticized devil, calling out to and speaking directly to the engaged audience in their song Sympathy for the Devil, the next song on our set. 
personal lives of musicians as well. Led Zeppelin's Jimmy Page was a follower of Crowley's philosophy of personal liberation. Page went as far as purchasing Crowley's reportedly haunted former home in Loch Ness. Crowley also influenced David Bowie, who from a very young age was interested in the occult and played with tarot cards and performed exorcism rituals. In 1976, Bowie said, in quotes, rock has always been the devil's music. I believe rock and roll is dangerous. I feel we're only heralding something even darker than ourselves. Bowie continued to experiment with the supernatural and with demonic themes through his depiction of his Ziggy Stardust character, a representation of a dying god, as well as his Black Star album, which chronicled his own death. And of course, we even get a rock and roll return to our friend, The Devil's Interval, heard in the introduction of the ingeniously named song Black Sabbath and the album Black Sabbath, by the band Black Sabbath.
while Black Sabbath is both lyrically and musically integrated with the devil. By the time the devil actually infiltrated the band, there seemed to be some sort of contextual shift in how the devil was being used in music. Black Sabbath didn't actually associate with the occult and Satanism. In fact, Ozzy Osbourne, their lead singer, was reported to have called his satanic fans, quote, freaks in white paint and robes in his biography. Sure, their name refers to the Black Mass ritual. And yet, they may have been accused during the satanic panic promoting a pro-Satan agenda. But their musical link to the devil seems more aligned with the notorious Red Hot Chili Peppers speech at the 1992 MTV Music Video Awards, when the band accepted a trophy and stated, quote, First of all, we want to thank Satan. A video which has been watched hundreds of thousands of times on YouTube. Whereas the devil definitely had a cultural significance fueled by resistance and counterculture in the 20s through the 60s, the influence of the devil now began to seem commercialized. Controversy is a massive ticket and album seller. The devil sure knows how to make money. The same way that the reason for including the devil shifted between Baroque composers like Tartini and the contemporaries of the 20s and 60s, there was now a shift between the relationship of the devil and music between the contemporaries of the 20s and 60s and the post-60s contemporaries. A change in the devil as an active tool of culture and resistance into the devil as a tool of, well, marketability. Not to say that marketability is a bad thing at all. In fact, I'm going to close you off with a devilish favorite of mine. Snoop Dogg's murder was the case, which depicts the fictional death of Snoop Dogg and his subsequent resurrection after making a deal with the devil. However, there definitely is a different place for the devil in music as opposed to what the devil used to represent in music. This new place is a theatrical stage of nonconformist aesthetical marketing place which actually is quite integrated into our society today if you think about it. The same way we love horror movies, we enjoy the influence of the devil in music as it brings us out of our comfort zone, whether that be in a visual or an auditory manner. Some countries even have this form of expression banned in their everyday practices. But at the end of the day, what we know is the devil's trill truly does radiate in society, and those who play this trill are often significantly rewarded. As I look up at the sky, my mind starts dripping, a tear drops my eye. My body temperature falls, I'm shaking and they breaking, trying to save the dough. Pumping on my chest and I'm screaming, I stop breathing, damn I see demons. Dear God, I wonder can you save me? I can't die, my boo-boo's about to have my baby. I think it's too late for praying, hold up, her voice spoke to me and it slowly started saying, my eyes are closed 